The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. And I am sitting here at Verily with today's guest, who is Jess Mega. Jess is the Chief Medical Officer at Verily. And uh, we've had the pleasure of having Jess come and speak at one of our events at South by Southwest, so I get a chance to know her a little bit then. Uh, But we've been dying to follow up and ask her some additional questions and have her on the show. So welcome, Jess. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And we're also joined by our friend Carolyn Wong, who uh, runs comms here and is an ex-W2Hour and helps set this up. So big props. And I I like to be very transparent. So we just had a little bit of a technical difficulty here so I'm a little you know sweaty and trying to calm myself down our our SD card misfunctioned and so um, both Jess and Carolyn were very kind to help us through that anyway with that said let's jump right in and let's talk a little bit about um, your background we were joking before doing this podcast I get an opportunity to meet some really smart people I think you probably are the uh, most highly degreed with um, uh, degrees from Stanford, Yale, and Harvard, just in case, you know, two of those weren't enough. Um, what what inspired you to, you know, obviously you went to these excellent institutions, but what inspired you to go into the field of medicine? I was incredibly fortunate to have a mother and father who were both physicians. And the thing that was interesting, so there are different types of physicians. My mom is a child psychiatrist and my dad is an ENT surgeon. And on paper, that might seem really different, right? Their day-to-day work is different. But what I saw in both of them was a true commitment to help people. And so we would spend some of our weekends going into the hospital, seeing patients. And once you're exposed to that as a child and you see the impact you can have, it's really hard to go back. So I I thank them tremendously for instilling the, the love of patients and improving outcomes. So I feel very, very fortunate. So thank you. And, and then one of the things that I do want to discuss, because we do have a mix of folks that listen to this, um, you do have this CMO title, but it is Chief Medical Officer. So one of the things I would love to do is just take a quick step back. So in addition to being a you know physician, you also do have this business role at Verily, which is uh, formerly Google's life sciences division. Um, let's tell some of the listeners you know, what a Chief Medical Officer is and maybe a little bit of what you do on a day-to-day basis. So at Verily, what we're trying to do is take information and help people lead healthier lives. And if you think about health information currently, a lot of it lives in a silo. It may only live in your medical chart. But we know that's that's a fraction of what happens to you every day. Uh, you make decisions. You eat certain foods. You exercise. You take your medicines. Uh, these are things that happen outside of the traditional healthcare system. And what we've been trying to do at Verily is three key things. We're trying to figure out how to collect new sources of information organize it and make it meaningful and actionable. And I feel like a lot of my role here as someone with a medical background and my colleagues, what we try to do is think, where is the biggest unmet need? Where can we be most impactful? And so as a chief medical officer, and I would say this is true for for many of the people who work at Verily, our goal is to make sure that we are solving problems that we think uh, need to be tapped into. So it's a, a very meaningful, but also a, a, a very, um, I would say, uh, a role that we think about every single day, because we know that in, as we think about healthcare, no patient should really be left behind moving forward. Into the next question, and, and it's really about 
what is the future of medicine? And I think you've touched on one of the things is data, right? Having all of the right data. But as someone that sits at one of the smartest, you know, biggest tech companies in the world, and then you're focusing on the medicine side of it, and clearly you've done your uh, homework and, you know, your years of studying at some very smart institutions. What are you seeing over the next five or 10 years in terms of the future of medicine? I know that's a big question, by the way. Uh, no problem at all, but we're going to tackle it today. Uh, so the biggest thing I see is this understanding that there is care that's provided when you come to see, let's say I'm, I'm your cardiologist and you come in and I might say, here are the five things I really would love for us to do together over the next six months until I see you again. There's no longer going to be just this episodic care. The idea is to give people tools and assistance and understanding so that care really becomes integrated into your everyday life. It's not something uh, that you think about once a year. It's much more, I'll make a crude example, but if you have a car, you're putting gas in the car, you're understanding what's going on, you're getting checkups, but we give you the tools to do that. And I think going forward, we're going to get closer and closer to that. So that's helpful. And I like that because I think that's what gets in the way of a lot of people doing the right thing, right? It's they forget or it's like, oh, I have to do this again. Uh, when you did speak at our event, our Movers and Shapers event earlier this year in March at South by Southwest, you did make a, a comment that was related to this and that Verily is working to instrument tools used in everyday life and adding data collection so it requires less from users. So can we drill down on that a little bit? We're like, what are some of the devices that you're envisioning that can help us collect some of this data? A great example is thinking about someone with a tremor. So you may come in and see your doctor and in a tremor, essentially, let's say your hand is shaking and I might see you and try to titrate medicines based on what I'm seeing in that moment with you. But then that tremor may happen every day. Maybe it gets worse on the weekends, maybe the winters. If we instrumented a spoon, for example, and we have a tremor canceling spoon, uh, or if someone was wearing a watch that actually could measure that signal, we would start to really think about when are the right points to intervene because information onto itself is just a bunch of noise. What we want to do is say, wow, your tremor's getting worse. Something's changing. How can we help you now? And next time I see you six months from now, you may or may not have the tremor. So it's, it's that kind of thing. Instrument what we do anyway. Make things more passive. We don't want to create more barriers. We want to think about you're sitting in that chair today, uh, you're holding a, a microphone. All of these things can help give us information. Yeah, that's helpful. And I guess let me ask you a follow-up question. How far away are we from starting to see some of these things roll out into the real world? Or maybe there already are a number of these things that are out there. Well, one thing that Carolyn and I talk a lot about is this idea of what does it mean to have a known signal? So I'll give you a tangible example. People with diabetes spend time trying to think about how do they manage their glucose levels. Uh, if they eat a big carbohydrate meal, their glucose levels may go up. And so we have tools today that we can start thinking about, could we make the tools a little more streamlined, smaller, cheaper, faster? That's something that is a today's problem that we're working on. However, we still all know people, unfortunately, that are plagued with different health conditions. And so we can't just say we know all of the signals that are out there. And so when you really get very futuristic ar around it, you try to think, what are the signals maybe of cancer before you manifest with a full lump? What is a signal of a heart attack before someone comes in with an acute myocardial infarction? Can we come up with predictive precursors that would end up giving us some insights? And so I think in some ways our work will never be done. So there are known signals, but there's a whole lot of unknown signals that we really are trying to tap into. So I want to ask you a 
question that sort of encapsulates some of what we just talked about. And I want this to, I'm, I'm looking at this as a positive, not a, you know, any, anything else, but you sit inside of a company that's one of the largest data collectors in the world in Google, right? Or Alphabet, I guess, is really the, the bigger, broader term. And so I'd love to know, I had originally wanted to ask you like what you like about Verily, but I'm going to ask a slightly different version, which is in a partnership environment, like how much do they drive you? How much do you drive them? Like how much interconnectivity, if, if any, is there or do they really, you know, let you sit somewhat autonomously? And, and why I'm asking is I've always been fascinated with how great, you know, it's like Google, you know, phone and, car, you know, cars and uh, maps and anything you can possibly imagine. They've made uh, email, right? Gmail. And they've done such a phenomenal way of, like you said, this tools, like how do we instrument day-to-day -day tools? I think Google has it just dawned on me, they've done that and you're doing it, but you're doing it for the life sciences area. So a very long-winded way of asking, you know, what role does Verily play in that and how much of that, you know, Googlefication or alphabetization of, you know, of what you do happens on a day-to-day -day basis? So I'll answer it through a story. We know that Google focuses on organizing the world's information and making it useful. And when I first got a call from what was then Google X, which was a branch of, of Google working on areas where information was there, but they needed to be organized in new ways. And there were, there were a few key areas. One was the driverless car, uh, one was around access, one around energy, and then there was a group thinking about healthcare and life science. And so we really grew up in the culture of Google. We work with some of the world's most amazing engineers. We ended up growing pretty quickly because, as you know, it's uh, obvious to, to probably everyone listening, the amount of health information out there, uh, it's not a small problem. Uh, we tackled a big one. So we started to grow quickly. But one thing that's nice about being Verily and being connected but separate is that we are a healthcare and life science company. And for people who have worked in that space, we have our own operations, our quality systems, clinical operations, and we're working in that ecosystem. So it allows us to partner closely with Google to work on similar uh, kind of code, but we operate in a way where we can understand the healthcare industry and move quickly and partner with other folks there. So I would say it's really been um, the best of both worlds. So they give you what you need, but they're not intrusive. And so you really have sort of a mandate, but you're able to go about that in your own way. Yeah, and there are even some direct collaborations that we have with Google itself. Uh, there's a group there that was working on some really interesting uh, technology to to look at what we call fundus images or images from the eye. Uh, the reason you might do that is patients with diabetes, we like to screen and see if they have changes in their eye. There was some fascinating work that they were doing, and then we were able to partner with them as we're now taking it into a more regulated space, and we're looking for a pathway to get into the hands of patients. So uh, that's, that's how I would describe it, and I, th I think you've really uh, hit it perfectly. Well, like I said, it's, I mean, I, I've been connected in some way, shape, or form to Google for as long as you guys have existed. And I knew when Carolyn came down here, I was fascinated by the concept of this. And just as I've been processing this, it really does make a lot of sense. And kudos to you all and, you know, what Google's doing to not just collect all the data and organize it, but also to really put it to great use. And I think you're, you're doing an amazing job. I do want to be sensitive to time because I know we only have a few minutes left. Um, I'm going to ask you one more sort of question to this and then dig into some more personal non-business questions. But you are a cardiovascular physician, again, you know, in addition to your 
day job, uh, a field largely dominated by men. So let's just spend a minute talking about how did you navigate that? And is there anything that, you know, you or we could do to maybe help encourage other women to follow in this path? Well, specifically, I would say being a cardiologist is, and I'm biased, I think it's one of the the best careers out there. So uh, if there are any women listening, uh, lean in, This this is a great field. But more generally, I think if people trust themselves, trust your instincts, if there's something that you like to do, do it and don't listen to the noise that's around you. And what I always tell people is you're going to wake up every day and you're going to be making those choices. And so make the choices for yourself. And it's gone a long way in in my particular condition. That's a great answer. And that's a nice generic enough answer, too, because I think a lot of people need to lean in irrespective of their background, irrespective of the fields. And just if you like it and you're passionate don't listen to the noise. So thank you. This is where we shift a little bit into more personal questions. And I know Carolyn specifically is waiting for the answer to this one because you were thinking about this, but I like to, it's a newer question. You know, um, it's something that would surprise people to know about you. And you sort of smiled and said, I have a good answer for this. So now I'm curious to find out what would surprise people to know about you. Well, one thing Carolyn and I were were talking about uh, is I, I love dancing. And uh, this is something that I think Uh, for people who know me well, doesn't surprise them at all. But as you can imagine at the holiday party, that's where you get, you get a little bit of attention. So, um, that's, that's been, I actually grew up dancing. I was a ballet. The Elaine Bennis from the Seinfeld show dancing. You're doing real. I mean, she, she thought she was pretty good too. So I probably shouldn't be the judge. Um, but I got some moves. I'm not sure she was formally trained, though. It sounds like uh, you right, were a right, no, more no. formally trained. <laughs> I did, yeah. I took ballet, jazz, modern, point, uh, you name it, I did it. In all that spare time you had not studying, right? And, oh, and right, 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 right. You know, my free physician. time. Yes. All right. Um, the second question I want to ask, and I do like to know, you know, who's influencing the influencers? So I'd love to just ask you, like, either today or over the course of your career, who has influenced you? You know, it could be a parent. It could be a teacher. It could be a fellow, you know cardiologist could be Carolyn Wong well we'll start with Carolyn um which by the way probably one of the best parts of my job is working with Carolyn uh Carolyn's an influencer I talked about my parents um my my husband has been so amazing and supportive and then you know this has been a bit of a journey for us at Verily and I am heavily heavily influenced uh, not only by Carolyn but really the the folks that I get to work with uh, and learn from. I, I have learned so much in the last two and a half years. And so uh, I would say I get influenced every single day uh, that I that I either live both at home and then I come into work. Great. And I know that if I use her name, Carolyn's name gratuitously, I at least get a few more W2Hours who will listen and maybe uh, share the podcast around. Uh, she's also got some great dance moves. So uh, we could we could pull her in. That is what I've heard. We'll yeah. have to do a video follow up of that. Um, so the last question, which is really more just for fun, but it's always an interesting one to hear the answer to. And that is, uh, the scenario is you're stranded on a desert Island. You have one album that you could listen to and one album only, ideally not greatest hits, although I will make exceptions, especially for really smart people like yourself. Uh, what album or which album would that be? And why? Uh, the one that comes to mind is Jimmy Cliff, the heart that come and, I, I just, it's always been, uh, it's been music that I've listened to with my family. And so maybe it goes back to the influencers, but that's what I would listen to. Well, it's a good one. And I think it's probably island appropriate, right? Because it is sort of a very casual, but uh, I'm always amazed and I would not have picked that one for you. So uh, another surprise. 
Um, this is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O Group, the host of the What to Know podcast. I did have the pleasure of uh, spending some time, probably not as much as I would like, uh, with Jess Mega, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Verily. So thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.